today's podcast, we will be discussing suicide. If you or someone you know is in need of help, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 or text H-O-M-E to 741741 or go to www.suicideprevention.org. When someone you love has ended their own life, your life is forever changed. A survivor of suicide experiences a unique set of feelings. Beyond the shock and grief comes the questions of why. Could I have stopped them? And how do I move forward? Often friends and family mean well, but do not know how to provide support. Whether you have lost a loved one to suicide and are trying to pick up the pieces of your life, or are the friend or loved one of someone who has lost someone to suicide, you are not alone. Keep listening as we hope to share some insight on this subject. Tackle your adulting to-do list with the Grown Up You Facts for Success podcast. Keep listening as we celebrate Season 3 with podcasts to help steer you in the right direction by providing useful information for living an independent and satisfying life as a young adult. Hi, thank you for joining us today. I am Allison Crane, Family and Consumer Sciences Agent for the Garland County Extension Service in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I want to welcome our guest for this episode, Julie Fant. Julie is a licensed certified social worker and has been for 27 years. And she is the owner of Divine Therapy in Bryant, Arkansas. Julie, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to do this. Well, Julie, we really appreciate you. And before we continue on our topic and our discussion, let me remind everyone that we will be discussing suicide. So if you or someone you know is in need of help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-272-8255 or text Home, H O M E, to 741741. Now, we describe the loved one of someone who has committed suicide as a survivor of suicide because that description seems to more accurately reflect the difficulties people who have lost a loved one to suicide face. When you're facing a conventional death of a friend or a family member, uh, like someone dying from old age or after being ill or even from an accident or murder even, it brings grief. But the grief caused by suicide is different. Julie, what makes suicide different? Suicide is so different from the conventional grief. With conventional grief, like you said, it's something that we expected, or even if it was unexpected, there's the typical feelings of the loss and the sadness. But with suicide, it's different because you're encountered with a lot of guilt. And people look and tend to want to take responsibility for what happened. And they invariably feel like they might have or could have prevented it somehow. And there's also stigma. People are afraid that others are blaming them. And there's anger at the person that committed suicide. 
because they had some, they had choice in it. And so with a typical grief situation, you know that the person would be here if they could. But when it's suicide, they decided to end their life. They decided not to be here. And there's a lot of disconnection that happens because of that. It's not easy for the suicide survivor. Well, coping with a loved one's suicide is described as an emotional roller coaster. And uh, the challenge is to confront those feelings that are brought out. The American Psychiatric Association ranks suicide as trauma that is on a catastrophic level. Why well, it is a trauma. Losing a person to death is a trauma to you if there's someone that's close to you and meaningful to you. But when it's suicide, that just deepens the feelings of trauma. And with trauma, there's lots of feelings of helplessness, feeling overwhelmed. So yeah. It's a trauma. So what are the more of the emotions that someone might face? Well, they're going to face what people typically face with a loss, the deep feelings of grief and loss and sadness. But with suicide, it's different because people question, could I have stopped it? Why would they do this? What was happening in their mind and in their life that would cause them to do this? And am, am I the one to blame? Or is maybe someone else the one to blame? And there's a lot of fear, fear that people are going to judge, fear that people are, are going to think you should have stopped it. And there's a lot of aloneness. People often don't know how to respond to grief, and they sure don't know how to respond to suicide. I've noticed and, that it does make someone feel isolated. It does. It's a huge isolator. Support groups are really good if you can find people who have gone through the same thing. And a lot of times people feel bad about feeling good because when they do see something or they do see something they enjoy and, and they have a good time one evening or, or they laugh, you know, sense of humor comes out and then they, they think, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be happy. Is it okay that I'm happy? Because it feels like it's minimizing your loved one that you lost. And a lot of people struggle with that in grief, whether it's a suicide grief or, or a conventional grief, as we're calling it, the unsureness about whether or not it's okay to feel happy. And it is, but we often stop ourselves because we don't want to, we don't want to dishonor our loved one that we've lost. I can see how that would definitely play a part. So grief under more conventional circumstances really has many of those same emotions, like you said, but when suicide in, is involved, it is like, like a roller coaster that's out of control. Maybe the ups and downs will seem steeper or, you know, I know that often when you just start to have a more normal day, something can trigger a whole new wave of emotions. And sometimes then that can cause you to feel like you're starting all over again with your grieving. Well, some of those feelings could be triggered by uncomfortable or even you know, well-intentioned questions from outsiders. So what is a tool that can help someone who is maybe dreading having to talk about it? One of the easiest things you can do when you're planning for encountering a situation like that, a social situation, is to write yourself a script of what you would say when people say certain things. You might simply say, I don't really want to talk about this right now, or I'm sure we can find something else to discuss. And people are going to ask how they died. And you don't have to have reservations. It's okay to say it plainly that they took their own life or 
they felt like hurting themselves or they committed suicide, whichever way you want to respond to it. But if you plan ahead for answering some of the things that people may ask you, things people may say to you may be uncomfortable. They may be sticking their foot in their mouth or saying the wrong thing. Or they might even be saying the right thing. People don't know what to say to grief and they don't know how to respond and they often try to fix it. But if you have something in your back pocket that's a script that you can use to respond to them when they're speaking with you, then it makes it easier for you when you're in those social situations. You're right. I know that giving people permission either to ask the question or giving yourself permission not to answer the questions really can kind of be freeing. It cuts down some of the pressure. Right. I know I tend to use dialogue in my head to kind of think through what I would say to certain questions on, you know, sensitive topics. So it helps me even to avoid putting my foot in my mouth sometimes, at least sometimes. Right. You know, again, I know that sometimes people's first initial response when they hear about someone committing suicide is to say, what? No. And then there's that initial shock before the sadness actually hits you and you begin to process what happens. The big question that most everyone asks when they hear about someone killing themselves is why. Everyone wants to know why, especially for those you know closest to the person. But every situation is different. But what are some of the reasons why a person might commit suicide? Suicide isn't based on one thing. We can look at this as the condition versus the catalyst. The condition is what's going on with the person all over many different areas of their life. But the catalyst might be one event, and that might be an event that the public knows about, maybe a breakup or a loss of a job or something serious happening. It's usually the straw that broke the camel's back. But underneath, the real thing about suicide is the condition that they were in, and it's depression that's so severe that the person wants to get out of this emotional pain and they're wishing that they weren't here. And they have a lot of thoughts rolling through their mind of others will be better off without me. And I can't make it through this and I can't stand to feel this pain anymore. And so there's a lot of depression, a lot of wishing they weren't here, feelings of hopelessness that it won't get better. There's emotional pain, there's physical pain. And the whole thing about suicide is that they are trying to end the pain. That's the goal, to end the pain. The agony is so severe that it makes it look like dying is a relief. And so they have a different view of the world than the average person does because they're viewing things in the depression they're experiencing. And so problems that might seem solvable to us don't seem solvable to them. The pain is amplified. So suicide offers the only relief. Then, you know, based on what you were saying, you know, so many times people who have attempted suicide, their primary goal wasn't to end life, but to end pain. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, in reality, because that loved one is not actually here to ask anymore, a person may never fully know the why, but letting go of the whys and accepting what has happened really is a key to healing a wounded heart. It is so hard because the whys are one of the biggest things. And you almost have to come to terms with, I'm never going to have all the answers. I'm never going to know truly what was happening with them. You can try to figure it out. You can pick all the pieces you can, find all the puzzle pieces, put them together. But you're right, because they're not here 
you're not going to truly know what happened. And examine and re-examine it. Look at it as much as you need to, but you may never know. Well, looking at that then, you know, and, and because, again, you don't know those guys, let's talk about guilt that survivors may feel. Sure. It's like the guilt lives next door to trying to figure it out. We try to figure it out. We go back and we look in time. What is it that I could have done different? How could I have stopped this? How could have I prevented this? And we search and we rack our brains and we try to figure it out. And then we think of some things that maybe this would have made a difference. Maybe I could have done this. I could have said this thing or I could have shown up at this time or I could have stopped them or I could have called them then. And we think of these things that we could have done because we're looking at it in hindsight. We've got a hindsight bias. And when we see those things we could have done, then we feel guilty that we didn't do them. And it's like our brain walks back and forth like two neighborhood kids that are going back and forth between two houses playing all day long on the summer afternoon. And our brain goes back and forth between what could I have done different and I'm feeling guilty because I didn't do that. And so guilt sets in. And then we start ruminating on the guilt and feeling like we could have stopped it. And that's huge. That is that ruminating huge. on the guilt because we can't stop it and we can't go back in time. And back then we were operating on what we knew to be true on the information we had at that time. The information maybe that they were all right. We thought they were all right. Or maybe even if we knew that they were suicidal and, and we'd seen it coming for a long time and we've been worried about it. We didn't know it was going to happen that day. We didn't know we were going to get that phone call. We didn't know we needed to be there 10 minutes before. And so because we didn't know, we operate on what we knew at that time. But when we look at it in hindsight, look at it from today's perspective, we're thinking, I should have shown up 10 minutes earlier before that happened, before they killed themselves. And so we feel guilt from it. Give ourselves permission to not feel guilt. Guilt's a false accusation. And it will pound us, to be honest with you. Those thoughts will roll around in our head over and over and over. And we're not responsible for their death, even though instinctively we feel responsible for it. We feel like we are because we feel like we could have stopped it, but we couldn't have. And so it's really easy to feel like the fault is us, that we should have been able to prevent it. We don't like admitting to ourselves that we couldn't, that we're only human, that we didn't know that it was coming, that we didn't know to be there 10 minutes earlier. So we tend to blame ourselves. All of us do. Anybody that's close to that person does. The chances are you'll find that each person, no matter how close they were to the suicidal person or how far they were, that they feel like they have the lion's share of blame on themselves. If they were the one closest and they feel like I should have known exactly what was going on in their mind. And if they're distance, they feel like I should have been closer to them. Well, everybody can't be all to blame, can they? It's more logical that none of these people are responsible. Simple truth is the only one responsible is the one who did it. And that's a tough pill to swallow because we feel like it's us. We can change us. We can control us, but we can't control them. And they were the one who made the choice. They were the one who was responsible. And we feel so much love and empathy towards them that we don't want to put blame on them. But there's a difference between blame and responsibility. Blame's accusatory and judgmental. But assigning responsibility is just simply acknowledging the fact that they chose this, that depression was the root, that this is a disease, and that they, in their depressive state, made a conscious choice, even though their mind was clouded, that they made a conscious choice. So the responsibility does lie with them. And so when we acknowledge this fact, that doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we're holding them in contempt. 
just means that we're looking at it more clearly and accepting it for what it is. So you're talking about blame and responsibility and how coming to grips with that is so vital for the survivor of a suicide. Another part of the grieving process is dealing with anger. And we can find ourselves angry for so many different reasons. Well, anger is actually a normal response to this because we're angry with them for taking their life. We didn't want them to do this. We want to go back and and fuss at them and say, change it, fix it, you know, just and so don't be surprised if a lot of anger wells up inside of you. Who wouldn't feel angry at a person that ended their life? We want them to stay around us. We want them to be here. So if you do feel angry, you don't have to repress it. It's a natural part of your healing process and you won't stay angry at them forever. But this is part of going through it is allowing yourself to feel the anger. And it's a very normal thing. So acknowledging that anger rather than hanging on to it even. Uh, I know that when you do acknowledge your feelings so many times that's freeing. The survivors of suicide are, you know, they're dealing with something that is unwanted, maybe unexpected, and it's certainly one of the hardest things to bear. So acceptance is the key to healing a heart broken by suicide, but it is more than just acknowledging that it happened. How does that affect someone? Well, I've gone through a close family member passing away recently, and I had to deal with the acceptance myself so I can lend some from personal view. There is an adjustment that happens when you lose someone you love that you're close to, that your life has been intertwined with. And so you have to almost step back and look at what am I going to adjust to here? What am I going to do with this big empty hole that they left? What am I going to do with all this time that I have left? What am I going to do at family events and when the all the first come up in, in the first year and, and with the anniversaries? How am I going to adjust to these? How am I going to accept these? And you really have to allow yourself to grieve. You have to allow yourself to have room for the sadness and the loss. It's important to talk to people that are supportive. It's important to rely on your faith if that's something that you do. It's important to understand you may not get closure. And it's and also important to understand that part of the reality of suicide is, is that this is a, is from a disease, a disease of depression and trying to wrap your mind around this is what has happened. And it takes a while. It's not an easy thing. Suicide and murders are the hardest death to get over. And they could take three or four years, to be honest with you. And it's OK if it does take that long because there's no timeline. Just give yourself the time, time to heal. It's not that time does heal. Things change, but you need that time under your belt to go through that process. There's a lot of first and mm-hmm. experiences and that you know you would normally experience with that person, and now you have to adjust to those holidays or whatever without them. What are some of the ways that someone could help a survivor not to just survive it to move forward what can a friend or a family member do for that person well one of the best things that they can do is just sit there and what a therapist call holding space allow their friend that's the survivor to feel any and all emotions that they have and to question and to to cry and to grieve and and allow them to just be really messy because grief is so messy and we as humans are messy and grief triggers things from all areas of our life 
And so when someone can be there and not judge, not blame, not try to fix, not try to tell you how it could be better, or thank goodness you got this going on that's good, or you're really capable of handling this, but really if you will just hold that face open for the griever to say what they need to say and sit there and listen. It's one of the most important things because there's such a gamut of feelings that people have in grief. And so many things are normal in grief that we don't all realize that these are normal grief experiences. And encouraging the griever to be themselves is one of the most powerful things that we can do. Well, that's really good advice. And I know that um, from my experience, you know, whether I'm the griever or have the friend who is grieving, I kind of have experienced it from both ends there. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's um, been fun. This is fun. Helping <laughs> people's fun. Yes, you're right. It is. That's one of the reasons why we do this podcast in the first place. We want to help people. You know, suicide is a very serious subject. And so we wanted to make sure that we addressed it right. But like you said, helping people make and making a difference in people's lives really does help. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close and wrap up? So when someone is moving forward, one of the healthiest things you can do is to allow yourself to experience the emotions of the grief. And they can be overwhelming sometimes. I know in my grief, it got so painful, I wanted to climb out my skin. And it can be that way for anybody because it is traumatic when you lose someone you love. And it's even more traumatic when it's a suicide. But allowing yourself to experience the emotions is really how you heal. Because if we don't stop to experience the emotions, we tend to sweep them under the rug or shove them in the closet. We don't feel them. And grief is going to come out one way or another. And it's going to come out unhealthy. It's going to come out healthy. We've got to go ahead and deal with it. It'll come out now or it'll come back and haunt us later. And if we go ahead and do it now, I think it's healthier because the emotions are all at the surface right now. And people are more available now because they know you're going through something where else if you put it off a few years, they may not be as available or as understanding. But go ahead and allow yourself to grieve because if you ignore it, it's going to pop back up and it's not going to be good. So we allow the emotions. Another thing to do is to find out, do some research. What is normal for grief? There are several Facebook pages out there for survivors. There's Facebook pages out there for grievers. There's some really good ones. There's one about what is normal in grief. Finding support that you need. Find a good therapist. If you don't have very many people around you to support you, find a good therapist. Even if you do have people that are around to support you, a therapist has some different skills than the average person. They've been trained in, in helping in, in such a different way. And you may find that the people you thought were going to be supportive of you are not as able to as, as you had hoped. But you also find that other people come into your life that surprise you and are able to be there for you. So be open to support from new people that come into your life or from people that you didn't expect it from. And then be compassionate with yourself. It's so easy to be critical of ourselves. We all do it, but you wouldn't say those critical things to you that you say to yourself, to your friend, if they were grieving. Make sure you're using the same words that you would say to your closest friend if they were going through this. Use those same words on yourself and give yourself the same latitude that you would give a friend. It's self-compassion, and it's really a game changer in our lives because when we're kind to ourselves, just like we would be to someone else, then we're not 
harming ourselves more. And it's real tempting to harm ourselves more because there's a lot of self-criticism that goes around in our head. It's just normal. Even the healthiest of us have self-criticism. So understanding, making sure you're using compassion towards yourself and then allowing happiness. When we lose someone, whether it's suicide or not, when we lose someone, it's really tempting to try to to not allow happiness to come in. And if we're open to that, if we know, okay, it's it's all right to feel happy. It's all right to laugh about this. It's all right to feel some joy. Because one of the hard things about grief is you feel like you're not honoring them. You feel like you're not loving them well enough. You're feeling like you're not mourning the way you should. That often happens when you're happy. But you can allow yourself to be happy and to mourn them at the same time. And both are okay. And there'll be times where you've got both going on and and allow them to to coexist there. Those are some of my favorite techniques. Again, that's really good advice. And it's practical things that we can do. You know, you can apply that whether you are the survivor or you are the friend or family member supporting and even knowing what to watch for when you have someone that you love that you're you're trying to support. So I will say that the first time I became aware of suicide, I was about eight or nine years old. And it happened that my honorary grandpa took his life because he had a very serious diagnosis of cancer. My parents at that age helped me to understand what had happened and and they really took time to answer my questions to the best that they could for my age. And that was a long time ago, but I have not forgotten that even after all these years. Then more recently, my family has had to deal with the suicide death of someone closely associated to our family. And that has been a very traumatic experience, especially for the ones who found the victim. Grief is real. And so is the damage that happens Mm -hmm. when a loved one dies this way. Mm-hmm. But I really want to stress, you know, like you were saying, there is hope. Yes. And so for any of our listeners, again, if you or someone you know is a survivor of suicide, please do not try to handle it all on your own. Like Julie said, get advice, talk to a professional read books or like the Facebook or there's so much information out there. And joining a support group is, I think, something that has brought a lot of help to so many people because then you've got someone who gets it. Right. They, they're they right. coming from that perspective of they've been there and they know what's going on and how they understand you maybe in a, a way that Absolutely. someone on the outside, as well-meaning and intentioned as they are, they just can't do it. Again, if you or a loved one feel like you might be experiencing a mental health condition, do consider Mental Health America has a free online screening tool that can help you assess. And it's at mhanational.org. Or you can just Google 
take a mental health test by MHA. And also, if you or someone you know is in need of help, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-272-8255. Also, for more information on related extension programs, be sure to contact your local extension office in your county. For more information about this or any Grown Up You podcast, or to learn more about Grown Up You educational opportunities, visit our website at uaex.uada.edu slash grownup. Be sure and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at UADA Grown Up U Podcast. The Grown Up U Podcast series is brought to you through the University of Arkansas Systems Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service, an equal opportunity affirmative action institution. Contact your local county extension office for programs available in your area.